You're listening to The Process, where we talk to some of the industry's most talented artists, including film, TV and game. From concept artists to previs to 3D animators and visual effects artists, we talk about a personal project of theirs and take a look at the work that went into them, as well as show an insight into the mind and workflow of each artist. For any visuals discussed in this episode, we've provided a link to images and videos should you need a bit more context. Or you can watch a video podcast on YouTube. Hey, Sava. Hey, how's it going? Hey, buddy. I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, good. Not bad. Thanks for having me. I'm always, always happy to rant about how awesome Unreal is. So, yeah. So we're, we're super excited to uh, chat with you today, Sava, because, yeah, a big fan of things like irradiation and all those awesome uh shorts and what are those posters on uh the wall we've got there sorry to be nosy no 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 nice worries. i mean they're, they're kind of right there um yeah it's it's mo- most of that all of them actually are uh, uh short films that i've done animated short films there's all uh, irradiation just outside of frame there but it's still oh yes yeah it's I still unpacked it. uh I, I just got it from uh from the printer so uh it's it's gonna be coming up um anytime soon but um but yeah it's just um, a bunch of shorts i've done um in kind of my own small team of friends and kind of independent production that i've been running um you know off the side it's uh it's kind of how i learned um filmmaking and directing and uh, it's kind of how you know what got me into it so uh what about the keyboard on the wall what's that all about I, that's just a like a birthday <laughs> present from uh, a, oh, nice. a group of friends. Uh, it's a real functioning mechanical keyboard, but it's like CNC'd yeah. out of a wood block. Uh, oh, it's really, it's really nice looking, so I didn't want to actually use it. That I just put you didn't, uh, didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to. It's I didn't want to mess it up um, because my setup is usually pretty messy. Um, so I just decided to <laughs> put it up on a wall. Uh, it's really nicely nicely made. So um, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess um, a great start would just be an introduction, Sever, to, to your name, who you are, and a little bit about your uh, background, really, would be great to just start with. Cool, cool. Well, um, yeah, my name is Sava Zivkovic. It's uh, one of those very hard to pronounce uh, Eastern European last names. Uh, my first name is a little bit more forgiving. I'm a, I'm a director. I'm based in uh, Belgrade in Serbia. I studied architecture and interior design, and that's where I kind of got into 3D um, a little bit. And uh, from there, I've sort of transitioned more into 3D visualization, started making fully animated CG short films, and then one by one, they kind of grew a little bit. And eventually, I, um, I got to direct one of my first short films, which uh, got me to Axis Studios. Um, and uh, that's where I've been kind of working as a freelance director for the past five or six years at this point, uh, working mostly on game cinematics. You know, because of that kind of CG generalist background that I have um, off the side and, you know, during night and in the off hours, I like to run my little independent production with a group of friends that I've kind of grown over the years. And uh, that's where I where I still kind of try and do as many of uh, my own personal films as I possibly can uh, within the time that I have. That has changed drastically with the introduction of Unreal, which we're probably going to talk about a lot about today. But um, but yeah, that's kind of uh, in the in the shortest time possible, <laughs> giving just an out uh, an overview. So you you started out was in uh, uh, architectural visualization. Is that where is yeah. that your very first experience with any three D? Yeah, at all? pretty much. Yeah, it was kind of a natural because I was studying again interior design at the time, so it was a very natural. I think literally um, I got introduced to three D S Max in like two thousand eight uh, at the first year of of studying, and uh, I think like a week later. Um, Alex Romans, the third and seventh. If you're familiar with that, uh, it came out at the time. So it's kind of, it's probably like even today, it's by far one of the best uh, architectural short films ever made. Uh, it's fantastic. Like even today, I, I I think it would fool quite a bit of quite a few people in thinking it was actually real and not fully CG. So that was like that first moment of realization is like, holy shit, you know, you can do this in this piece of software. You know, I was aware of blur cinematics because i was a big gamer at the time and i was aware that blur was the company who made those game cinematics and then i kind of made the connection of like hey wait a minute like they're using the same software as well 10 years later i could do (laughs) something like that uh but uh yeah it was it was a long journey to get there um but it was it was kind of the the initial kind of 
you know, two kind of points of, of inspiration that really kind of pushed me in that direction a little bit more. Um, I still love design and I love my time at the, at the university, but I, in parallel, I was kind of devoting more and more of my time to actually learning 3D and to learning. Uh, it started with, you know, 3D and CG in general, and um, it started from images. And again, because I was studying interior design, it was always focused on, you know, architectural stuff. And then it slowly expanded into a little bit more of motion design, and it slowly it's expanded into, you know, animation or like simple animation with motion design. But really, like that's where I learned a little bit more about the moving image as uh, in, in contrast to just the static image and how much more complexity that adds um, in, in, in the kind of creative process. As years went by, I just kind of uh, focused on the creative side a little bit more and... Uh, I, I think I got a, a bit of a lucky break, uh, timing-wise, uh, with with my first short film, which was uh, it was kind of this title sequence for a conference, but it was made as a fully you know animated short film, like six minutes, um, and it was like a fairly ambitious kind of sci-fi project at the time. So it's called IFCC 2017, and that's what actually got me you know into the director's chair. Like that's the first time I've made. Some shorts before that, but I, I never had, you know, the the balls to call my myself a director. Uh, but then that was the first time where I actually felt like, all right, I've kind of, you know, earned the title on that project. And literally like the the one of the first calls that I got was from Axis saying, Hey, do you want to direct for Whoa, us? And I was like, That's yes, insane. Yes, please. Uh, is that something <clears throat> that you wanted to actually like in the back of your mind, I'd love to direct or oh, did no, you just I mean, thought, absolutely, but it was never like I didn't make IFCC in order to get a job like that. I, I made it because it was it was really fun and I wanted to make it and and it was it was an amazing kind of collaborative experience with my friends and uh, we all loved working on it. That's why I, I say it was a lucky break because it just kind of it happened naturally. It wasn't something I was pursuing and I, I honestly like preferred that way because I think for that first one the aspect of us like really having fun and not really having any expectations out of it um actually helped us a lot but uh yeah if you if you start this off as with 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 a big sense of expectation i think like from there the only the only thing that can happen is like it can lead to disappointment <laughs> in a way a little bit of perfect timing as well um because at, at the time we were utilizing uh, octane and that allowed me to you know animation kind of especially doing it on your own and rendering back in the day was a huge thing. I remember even like with V-Ray days, uh, you know, just on a single machine, like you'd have a bunch of problems. Uh, but then, you know, Octane came out and I had like, I still have that same machine now. It's like four GPUs, you know, it allowed me to not worry about rendering time and just kind of focus on, on, on the story aspects. And that was great. That was very liberating. But also I had a very lucky situation as well, where I had access to the professional motion capture stage here in Serbia. Uh, so a group of friends who own it and run it, uh, they wanted to kind of co-produce the film with me. So they kind of lent me their, their services, which is not something you'd have on your, you know, uh, every day. So th that, that's what really helped kind of elevate the work a little bit, um, especially in that moment where you didn't even have like the... Um, low-cost solutions like Rococo or Xsense suits or anything like that. Like it, it was either, you know, a mocap studio or nothing. Um, so that was, that, that really helped um, at the time to, to separate it kind of from, from the rest. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons uh, it kind of got the, the attention that it did. To that project then with the motion capture, did you know that that was available before you started or was it kind of, yeah, as you started, it became, oh, no, you no. can use this. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew at the time it was available because we've done one project before that. We had this idea for just this very short, it's not really a short film, it's just like an like an intro action type sequence um, where we needed character animation, which I can't do or none of my friends can do. And so we're that, like, that's the only thing we were lacking. We knew how to concept things out. We knew how to make, you know, the models and render everything nicely. But the animation was kind of off, you know, off limits. So what we did is we came up with this kind of um, little intro sequence that was all playing out in, in slow motion, apart from like four shots that were like full on action, running and shooting and stuff like that. And then for those four shots, we reached out to the motion capture company and we, we said, hey, you know, like 
if you can help us, like this is something that you can probably fit in like 10 minutes of one of your shooting days, but we have everything else ready. So it's not just that we had an idea, we rendered everything else. So all of the other shots were completely ready. The music was ready. So we had something to show them like, hey, this is, you know, this is pretty much 90% ready. All we're missing is animation for those four shots. And when they saw that, that's what really clicked because they they saw that we're already, you know, well on the way to make this. It's not something I think a lot of, you know, young people kind of came to them before and asked for help or favors, but everybody came with just, you know, just faint ideas and not really any work done. But I think us coming to them with, you know, 90% of the work done and showing that we can finish this, the, that's just the one ingredient that's missing. I think that's what gave them the confidence to actually come on board and help us. And uh, it was literally like a really short shoot is something we could just fit in. That was a great experience. And then when we talked about IFCC, they were they were in from the start, basically. So so it was just, um, you know, kind of an extension of that short test project that we've done. Coming from ArcViz mm-hmm. into writing these short stories, uh, have you got experience prior to that? Is it something you enjoy doing outside of... I've, I've, no, no, I, I don't have any experience prior to this with that. I've kind of learned that along the way as well. And, uh, I've grown into enjoying it. I didn't enjoy it at first for the first kind of early couple of years of my work at Axis, you know, I, I knew kind of what my strengths were, uh, and what my weaknesses are and writing is definitely not one of my strengths for the longest time. I, I just thought of myself as, all right. You know, I, I really enjoy directing, but I'm going to focus only on directing and only, you know, I'm not going to dive too deep into writing. Roughly around, I think it was like 2018 or something like that. We had a shoot in uh, in London, in Pinewood, uh, for one of the Axis projects. At the same time we were there, there was a Robert McKee workshop in, in Tal. And uh, if you're familiar with Robert McKee, he's a fantastic uh, writer, story doctor. There's a book in here somewhere, roughly there i think um but uh i got to see his workshop live it was like a three-day workshop uh, before i read the book and i that, like if you can still catch that somewhere in the world i would definitely re- re- recommend watching the workshop live before reading the book because then you're actually reading the book with his voice which is absolutely like one of the best experiences you can have but he, he, like that was absolutely mind-blowing and, and eye-opening and that's where i got hooked to story like not specifically writing per se but you know just uh, the art of story and all of the well most of the access cinematics i've done like up to that point there is definitely always an aspect of writing especially when you're pitching on projects and pitching to the client there is an aspect of you know writing the pitches and explaining how we're going to shoot the, the 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 trailer or cinematic but ever since that robert mckee workshop uh, i've been kind of diving deeper and deeper into it and through all of the pitches that I've done through Axis, I've written more and more scripts for the pitches themselves. So that's something I used to kind of shy away from, but uh, I actually started doing. And there's a lot of experience that went in there because like in my five or six years at Axis, I've uh, directed like around 10 cinematics slash trailers at the moment, but I must have pitched on like, I don't know, like 50, 60, something like that. Pitches that we lost, pitches that went nowhere, pitches that were, you know. So there's a lot of work you know, that never got made, but I pretty much like wrote the scripts and wrote, you know, the outlines or, you know, some form of a script for all of them. So that's a huge kind of learning experience there that even though we didn't get to make them, I still got something out of it. And then it was before Irradiation, actually, there was a project before that, that we completely finished. Uh, but it's one of those frustrating things where, you know, something happened and now that project is never going to see the light of day. And that was the first time I've I've dived into and kind of felt comfortable with writing dialogue as well, because that was always something I kind of shied away from. I get by with English, but I don't really think in English still. And uh, especially when it comes to dialogue, it's always a little bit tricky for me to kind of, you know, like, is this how people talk? Is this sound natural? Is this weird? Is this cringe? But that was the first time where it felt comfortable kind of writing dialogue for that scene. It was a fairly emotional scene as well. Most of my kind of, you know, CG and filmmaking experience, it all kind of was learned through the process of doing it. And, uh, you know, you, you, the best way, isn't it? At times it to is. just get yeah, going yeah, there and, yeah. and learn, you know, yeah, you write something shitty and then, you know, you write a few more and then over time it become it becomes a little bit less shitty. So it, yeah. you know, it kind of, that's kind of how it works out. 
you mentioned briefly just about your you know ideas and and, and concepts <laughs> but what's your approach to your concept ideas you know how does it come about when you're starting a project um, well in concept art terms specifically i i worked with a very close friend of mine uh milan nikolic who is a fantastic uh, concept artist back when we were freelancing we used to share this kind of co-working space but we were all freelancing and everyone was doing their own thing but you know like sitting next to him all day and seeing the stuff that he drew it was like oh you know we got to make something together and he was also, you know, like, oh, he's drawing all of this, but hey, would be would it be awesome to see this actually move, you know? Nice. Um, That's a great ecosystem, isn't it, it straight is, away? It like is. having the people next to you and in the same room no, doing it's, different it's, things. It's, it's fantastic, especially like that that was like in the early, early days of, you know, with the freelancing career, like straight out of college basically. We we think in a in a in a similar way, so and we have a very similar um aesthetic and style, I would say. And uh things that we're into so it's very easy to kind of you know have those conversations so even when you know I'm, I'm i'm thinking of a story or thinking of something i'm kind of constantly thinking in his you know visual style whereas like if he would be designing something he would probably think of you know how that would look in camera and how we would execute it and stuff like that and i rarely do any concept art on my own i'm, I'm not a great <laughs> concept artist at all uh so, so like i rely on on milan's work a lot Obviously, as a director and, a, and you know, creating these stories, when when you see these concept arts, does it then spark absolutely more yeah. things, and then you can develop and roll with that? Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's it's exactly what happened on uh, Freight, which was one of the shorts we've done some years ago. But we've had this idea for kind of what we wanted to do, and then as we were talking about it, we just had a glance at one of his previous works, and that kind of immediately informed uh, the rest of the story so so yeah that happens quite a bit and for that's really nice a natural way to sort of explore and evolve that's kind of how irradiation started uh milan didn't specifically work on that that started with jama and i'm not sure if you're familiar with yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, um, and an amazing um tutorials pack that he's got with um concept and designing like blender yeah, and yeah, yeah. i think it's yeah amazing oh yeah um, he, i mean well, he's one of the greats um and like we've, we've been talking for a while of kind of wanting to do something together and it never just, you know, never was the right timing. Um, so the, the, like the first idea for irradiation was, hey, let's just make a trailer for the pack, you know, just to sell the pack. It started as a one minute thing, like just a one minute trailer, just a couple of cool shots and that's it. Um, so then like he sent me the entire pack and uh, I just started playing with it in Unreal just by putting it inside Unreal and slapping a bunch of fog on it and just kind of walking with the camera around immediately, you know, hit me with all these ideas for what the story can be. And then it was like, all right, I let's do it. But I don't want to make it the one minute thing. I want to make a full short film, basically. So so that's kind of that's kind of how it happened. But yeah, that, I think that's that's like to your previous kind of question. I think that's a big big aspect of it just sure. being inspired by by art. When you start laying out these stories, work with the concept artist spark ideas especially for irradiation and that really drives that story or, or starts to do you plan out with uh, storyboards and previews and what about the, the the planning of these shorts that also changed across uh, you know the years as well so like earlier in my career the storyboards and previews like is absolutely a must it's it's kind of the you know the it's basically what I advocate for the most is the that's the core part of making an animated short film because that's where you actually make it. If you have your storyboards and if you have your previous nicely edited and if the you know temporary music and sound is there and it conveys a story, it conveys the emotion. Well, it's only gonna work ten times better when you actually have everything nicely you know made and rendered and whatnot. So so arguably like you're actually creating the film in that stage and everything you're doing after is just pure production. So previous is something I was I was very very close to. Like previous is something I used to do a lot on my own. I still do it for for specific things. I don't really do storyboards on my own. I I work with storyboard artists, but that's mostly reserved for uh, kind of access projects that I do. One thing that I found like throughout the years is like I I really love love that process of of creating you know your film in the previous stage, and that what was lacking for me is. Previous is usually always very rough looking and very uninspiring looking. It's all kind of gray and, you know, placeholder and it's it's kind of super just uninspiring, honestly. And one thing I was I was always kind of, you know, 
missing out in the previous stage is the aspect of lighting because the you know uh, for me like cinematography is one of my favorite aspects of production and uh, in 3D or CG production lighting comes at the end so you kind of ha when you're thinking about cinematography it's kind of split into two you do the camera work first and then lighting like six months later but that's such an unfair way to work. Yeah. Like it's something you get, all, you know, I don't want to say for free, but, you know, in live action, it's just there. You point the camera, yeah. you, you know. And lighting is such a crucial part of cinematography that I felt for the longest time that we're missing out big time in CG because we don't have that aspect. And then Blender came out with 2.8 with Eevee, and that completely, like, blew my mind because it had, like, the best parts of, well, in terms of it had a, viewport render EV that was looking really nice, similar to Unreal, like you had depth of field, you had PBR shading, you had, you know, volume fogs and nice shadows and all of that. But you still had the flexibility of working in a 3D software, which in Unreal, that's a little bit tricky, you know, especially for previous purposes where you need to move, where you need to move fast, you know, like if you want to change the animation of something in Unreal, you have to open a blueprint and then you have to compile and where it is in Blender, you just move the, you know, the bone and that's it. So Blender was uh, like a big revelation for, for me. And it, it really opened up that world of kind of thinking of the previous as well in terms of cinematography with kind of like some like fairly decent lighting information in there. And I think that really started to elevate the work a little bit because you can actually like see stuff early on. Yeah. And fog, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it does a good, decent job. It's, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So that kind of fixed my my kind of need for for that aspect. But it was still, you know, the the one thing I was missing still was, you know, in the typical kind of CG pipeline production, you you have the, you know, you're constantly recreating the same thing. So when you establish, you know, the previs, you're recreating that all the, all the way through through the end. So you have your edit in the first couple of weeks, and then you're just, you know, kind of grinding. And there's none of that kind of explorative process which again you have with live action kind of explore a little bit more be a little bit more opportunistic with kind of how you shoot and how you edit really uh but in animation like that rarely ever happens like it's very very pre-planned you know make the previs this is what we're making it's very it's there for a reason because animation is expensive as hell so you kind of need to plan everything ahead so that's where unreal really kind of you know blew my mind and that's that's kind of the whole kind of story of radiation is kind of that that aspect of it which i enjoyed by far the most like that was by far the best experience i've ever had just being able to work in animation but shoot it like live action and be very flexible with how i'm going to shoot be very you know opportunistic and find things that i wouldn't plan i wasn't planning on you know just kind of walk around and see something so that's that kind of like super super fun process of filmmaking that was I don't think it was available before in animation. I think you can argue you could do that in like typical, you know, like Maya workflows, but it's not the same as it is in Unreal because again, you're working with full, full lighting information and shading information and it's completely real time. So, so that's kind of the, the closest I ever got to like a full on proper live action experience. And it was, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I think it's, it's incredibly powerful, uh, kind of the value that's the, to me, like that's the real value um, Unreal adds. It's not just, you know, everyone's raving about, oh, you don't have to wait for render times and everything is super real time. And that's fine. That's great. But really the real value is uh, what it adds to kind of the creative process. It feels like it's the biggest thing to happen to to animation industry is just changes the workflow completely. I mean, that, that was one of the, again, lovely things with the radiation is uh, I didn't have any previs for that. And I intentionally didn't want to have any previs because I didn't want to be stuck in that. Oh, I'm going to sure. do the previs and then this is what I'm going to shoot. Like that's the same process. It would defeat the purpose of using it. So all I did was I had a shot list, just an initial outline. This is the shots. For the most part, I've stuck to that shot list, but I would say like maybe like 80%. And then like the 20% that was added later was just the stuff that I would never think of if I haven't had an opportunity to see that. Those 20%, I would say, were probably the most creative things of the whole thing as well. It just goes to show then, doesn't it, that you can't get that unless you're in there? No, no, yeah. And not necessarily that you can't. Like, you can probably spend a lot of time in pre-production and, like, really test things out and play things out. But this is just way more fun. <laughs>
and it's faster as well. When you first got yeah. Unreal Engine for for, for was it been four point something? Yeah, back then. How long did you spend in there playing with fog and looking at reflections and lighting? Because it's so like, whoa, look, look at this. You a, know? a while. I mean, I, 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 didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't remember having that sort of an experience. Like the only visceral experience like that that I remember was when I actually like first, the first time I opened 3ds Max and I just like made a cube and I spent like half an hour <laughs> just, just rotating around this cube and looking at it from all different angles. It was like, yeah, you know, it was one of those things where you just like, suddenly realize the possibilities um with unreal it wasn't like that because i had a very difficult time adjusting to unreal so it was okay. a lot of it was a lot of frustration leading up to this moment of clarity where it was like all right got it you know and it was like okay now i can start working <laughs> but i think i i think i started learning unreal like on like three or four separate occasions from ground up and every time like after a month or so i would just be like you know, screw this. This is not for me. I I can't get like everything is illogical, um, but I think that's just because I was so used to like the regular three D software uh, kind of logic, and this is not a three D software. This is a games engine, and it has its own much different logic. But once you actually get over that, like that learning curve for like the first month, it becomes so easy and intuitive. I mean, I haven't opened Max since you know, and it's like at, whenever I do. I kind of missed the navigation from Unreal. Like now I'm fully, it's incredible how fast you actually get, you know, adjusted to it once you're over that initial learning curve. You mentioned that, you know, Unreal Engine is not a 3D application, of course. Can you just talk about your workflow with, you know, motion capture, a 3D application and Unreal Engine and, and sort of sending things back and forth? And that all get, goes through Take One, the motion capture company I've mentioned a couple of times. Like for irradiation, it was all, the whole production was based around the prefabs and pre-made assets. So it was like the main purpose of it still, which I, I think a lot of people miss out on is it, it was a commercial for big, medium, small. It says so in the very end credits, um, but- An because, incredible commercial for but that it was, pack. But, but, it, but yeah, <laughs> because it, you know, it, it told a successful story, I would say is uh, it, that that's what, what sticks with me. So yeah, in terms of like all of the assets for the film, like all of the big, medium, small assets were obviously provided. They were already, you know, fully shaded, rigged, everything. The environment was also like purchased uh, off of a store. Uh, it's called like MAWI, Mavi Environments. They're fantastic. Then when it comes to motion capture, we, we shot everything. You get, you know, what's called a live soul, which is kind of like a first pass real-time, you know, mocap sold that you get on the day, basically. It's not super precise. There'll be some glitches and, you know, your hands and feet will occasionally, you know, penetrate, interpenetrate with, with yeah, each other. Yeah, of course. But so that's of, raw. That's just straight up. You just receive the raw. That's raw. But, yeah. but it's good enough that it gives you something to work with. It gives you, you know, you can bring all those in the editor and uh, you can start working and you can start creating your edit. And then once you have your edit, then you can say, these are the parts that I'm actually using. So that's kind of, you select the frame range, you send it back to the mocap company, and then they actually solve it. Because uh, oh, basically, okay. solving is done per second, and uh, keyframe animation is also done per second. So, you know, the more seconds you have, the you know, more it's going to cost. And then literally everything I get at the end is just a FBX file that's uh, animated, and I can just drop it in Unreal, and it just works. So I don't, I don't deal with any of that stuff personally. Again, like, my CG background is as a generalist, but I've never delved into uh, character animation. That's always been foreign lands for me. Did you go there to the mocap studio to direct actors? As Absolutely. Well? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's a big part of uh, of the whole you know process, really. Um, but yeah, you you absolutely you know have to be there on the stage to really you know drive everything, um, and uh, that's one of the difficulties during COVID was uh, just the fact of, you know, remote shoots and stuff like that. That was very awkward dialing in and just kind of watching everything, you know, from cameras. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, I was lucky. Irradiation was shot during, what was that? Like, it was like definitely COVID years, but uh, it was a little bit loosened up so we could actually go in and uh, and shoot it in person. So that was great. I think that that makes a big difference, honestly. And what about lighting? What is it you yourself that's sort of in there, cinematography, lighting, experimenting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any tips and tricks to get the uh, Sava look? Just just slap a bunch of fog. 
yeah, when, when in doubt, add more fog. That's that's the <laughs> that's num- a good mantra. The number number one rule. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's. I, I mean, yeah, the, the fog kind of came from you know limitations back in the day, but it kind of became the aesthetic choice a little bit over the years. Um, I think. I mean, that's that's really how like all styles, most styles, kind of evolve from. You know, we kind of start working with some limitations, and then you find creative solutions around them, and then years later you figure out well you know this is kind of my aesthetic now but yeah i do i do all of that on my own productions i do all of all of those aspects uh, what i try to do with both cameras and lights is uh, i try to ground them as much as possible so even like when shooting like irradiation for the most part i'm not doing any massively difficult camera moves that will require crazy equipment i'm trying to think of it Oh, if I'm there on a live action set, and I only ha- I only have like a handheld rig and um, and a tripod, like that's all I'm gonna do. That's the best best way for that real realistic. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of yeah. grounded like that, but that goes with lighting as well. I think you know because in CG you can do stuff that you can't do in real worlds. Um, a lot of people tend to, you know, just um, hide the lights and leave it in the frame, like you, and that you know gives you a specific look. Uh, but you can't really pull that off in real world unless you're using like compositing and just erasing lights that are behind your actors, which is kind of nuts. Um, so that's kind of what I what I try to do in CG as well is like, you know, adhere to the real world. There are some areas where I break the rules and some that I don't, but I, I don't really know how to define that balance. Like, how do you know? You kind of you kind of know. But uh, yeah, that's for the most part, I try to stay grounded in lighting and uh, keep it fairly simple. You know, one or two lights is all is all you need. My background's previous in shot creation and storytelling. So one of the big roles for me is how would you shoot that? Because you, you see cameras flying all over the place and yeah. then you think, well, where is the camera? What's it doing? What's the intention of that? Yep. You know, if it's a pull, a creep. Is it, is it on an angle? Is it? There's a reason for every every um, decision like that. Yeah, that stuff always in my mind tends to pull me out of a film. Where where whenever something massive like that happens, that feels unmotivated, or where the, where the camera is coming from, it just just pulls me right out. You know, when I'm watching a movie with my wife, I'll be saying like, hey, where, "Why why have they done that? Or how's they done that? That looks weird. Like where would that camera be actually?" And she's like, "We just shut up and watch the movie." Yeah. Uh, but it's just something that yeah I can't help so you obviously you work freelance as a director for with Axis you love working on things like radiation and that kind of process what's it like going into those um, larger studios and working in that type of workflow it pretty much still is uh, very much a previous storyboards type of you know standard kind of workflows and uh, again like I, I completely understand that because it's just the nature of the productions we're in What's it like working with a team of people that know that you've done such short films? And are you still hands-on with these? Or is it tempting to like, oh, just give it me. I just want to <laughs> do this because... No, it's, it's actually not. I think it was like that at the start. I kind of had a, a, an idea of what directing is, but like that's kind of where I actually learned what it is. That it's more got to do with, you know, managing the team and, um, you know, conveying your ideas, not necessarily executing them yourselves. Uh, because frankly, it's impossible in the timeframes. You know, one of the first experiences was coming from doing most of the things myself, coming into, a, you know, a 50, 60 people team. We have the storyboard artists do the amazing storyboards, and then the editing department would edit them, then the previs and layout will do their thing. People, you know, make all the models, they render everything out, do the effects, and then we're all sitting in a review, and everyone says, oh, great job, Sava, you know? And I'm like... I I didn't do I didn't do shit you know like it's it's that 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 was a very kind of revealing moment for me where I kind of felt like I didn't do anything there but that's kind of you know what I've learned ever since that that's that that is just how how it works and it's just not possible to do otherwise um I really like the initial process of filmmaking but when it comes to technical 3D stuff I hate that process. I, I, I really don't like the technicalities of things. So being able to be away from that is completely fine by me. If possible, like I still do my own previs, like from time to time, if I have the time for it. Um, I, I still enjoy that process a lot because that's kind of, it, it allows me to have my hands on it for a little while, but it allows me to be, you know, fast and iterative and 
try different things out. Well, what inspires you outside of, you know, movies, uh, games, uh, directors, cinematographers? Yeah, g- games was uh, uh, a big part of my kind of growing up. I rarely get to play them these days. It's one of those interesting things, like as soon as I started working on them, I stopped playing for some reason. Uh, so I'm not really, I'm, I'm well caught up with, you know, what's out there and what's coming out. And I obviously like keep track of all the amazing game cinematics that are, that are out there. Um, that's a big part of inspiration for sure. But, uh, I don't really play that many games these days. Music used to be a huge, huge part of my kind of, well, not life, but, uh, inspiration really. Like that's, that, that's where I drew a lot from in, in kind of the, the early days. I kind of forgot about that aspect a little bit, but recently I've been kind of diving back into the collections and uh, just finding tons and tons of inspiration in there because it's it's one of those things where it's it's universal for everyone, right? Like you hear a track, and then immediately like you start imagining like a music video version of this track. You know what this what what what's the music video to this song that you're you know hearing now? And it's such a cheat, you know, it's such a, you know, it's almost like it's a cheat code, you know, it, gi- it gives you like visuals for free in, in a lot of ways. It gives you all of the things. It gives you, you know, pacing and uh, it's it's an absolute fantastic uh, point of inspiration. It's kind of what I mentioned previously in one of those early days when we were kind of sharing that co-working space, like we used to just nerd out and just play tracks and just kind of trip out and, you know, talk about, oh, this could happen here, this could happen there, and none of those things we talked about ever got made, but uh, it was it was a really fun way to kind of, you know, come up with ideas and just kind of be, you know, passionate about expressing ideas. Getting back into that a little bit and finding more and more inspiration in that has been been fantastic, yeah. So is there any personal projects that you're currently working on or would like to, or do you like to just switch off after a day and then... I would like to s- switch off. Uh, I... I don't know how uh, to be honest that's same same very problematic uh i've i've been learning that in the past few years just kind of trying to you know find a little bit of a work-life balance which is really really hard i i don't have an answer to that nearly um beckoning is uh you know is something that i'm focused on right now uh, with uh developing it we're actually in pre-production right now just uh outlining everything and Hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we'll be able to push on into production soon enough. I've I've been doing this for a while now and making all these short films for a while, and it was always this this problem of you know you you come up with a story, you come up with a setting, with a world, and then you know because animation is so damn expensive, we can only do a short. But we've already you know made the assets, we made the characters, we made the environments. So it's just the uh, you know the production and everything is what's kind of you know, containing you to a short form. And that really changed with with Unreal Engine and with Irradiation. That's when things really opened up and when I realized there there is an opportunity where I actually can start thinking about a feature length with the small team, you know, not talking about, you know, big studios and productions, like keeping a very small and independent production like I have been doing for my shorts. I can probably do a feature like that. And uh, I want to say that I'm done with shorts. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I've always wanted to make, make uh, you know, uh, feature length films and longer format films. Slowly getting closer to that, so that's kind of what I'm devoting most of my time now. It's gonna be a bit of a ride, though. It's not gonna be a couple of months project. It's gonna no, be a couple well, of years. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, sometimes it, I guess the short films are the key that unlock the potential for moving on to those such bigger projects. They certainly are, but they're also just a part of a key i would say the yeah the, the, other, part, the other part is uh, what i've learned again um the other part is a script <laughs> because yeah. I've, I've done plenty of shorts before that have gotten me into those conversations of you know hey let's let's make this into a feature and i've been a part of some really interesting conversations for irradiation and for everything that came before uh, but without the script for what this version of a feature film is, that those conversations pretty much, you know, stop. Um, so that's why I did different for Beckoning now. There was, a, you know, script first, and then we did the trailer. Uh, so now they're packaged together as this kind of a pitch deal. This is the full script of what the feature is, but this is like the first three minutes of how it's going to look like and what's the, you know, concept and the setting of it. And uh, it also gives us the very clear kind of production pipeline of uh, how we're going to achieve it. 
that combination is like starting to become a little bit more fruitful, I would say. But yeah, short, short films are, are absolutely essential and great to showcase the skill. But um, yeah, without without the script, they rarely get you know anywhere further than that. Yeah, wishing you all the best with moving into that content, Sava, because it seems like it's definitely a path that you would like to go down uh, oh, yeah. in, the, in the long run. You mentioned that you're not great at the work-life balance and detaching from those, you know, yeah. days. And you've yeah. got to be doing something right, or are you just an absolute machine? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something now. I mean, for me, it used to be very much lock myself in, work, 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 and then there's like a venting session, um, and that's usually a vacation or a night out or something like that. And uh, a well, well earned break. Yeah, a well earned the- break, and then you know back into it and. Uh, it's something that worked really well for me as well uh, before all the, you know, travel restrictions and all that jazz. I'm kind of a, I would say like maybe like an introverted extrovert. Like I, I like to close myself off and do my thing within my own four walls and I like that. But then I also loved like when I used to go to conferences and uh, when I would go to Axis like every once in a while for a specific aspect of production and, you know, get to work with people in the office and, you know, see everyone and uh, have drinks after work and all of that stuff. And that was, that was great. But then, you know, I would go back and like, you know, have a little bit of best of both worlds uh, in a way. In terms of kind of detaching, I mean, I, I kind of, that's something I, I, I probably started doing last year uh, is just kind of trying to detach a little bit more and not, not really, you know, take the work with me, uh, you know, the, the same thing you described with your wife, it's, it's kind of the same problem. Uh, you know, we would watch something and I would, I wouldn't be able to stop, <laughs> you know, talking about the techniques behind it. And like, it's just like, can we just watch the, the damn movie? Sure, man. <laughs> I don't know. I think like picking up hobbies that don't really have anything to do with this really help or it helped me at least. I, I that's why I kind of find it hard to talk about it is because it's, you know, so different for everyone. That's what I've been trying to do recently is just kind of find hobbies that are slightly outside of this. So whether that's like, you know, record collecting, something that's analog, something that you can just spend the time with a little bit, you know, reading. Um, although I am reading books on filmmaking, which doesn't really help a lot, but it does, you know, kind of move me away from sure, the screen man. a little bit. Sure. Cooking, anything that can kind of, you know, kind of remove you from this world. I, I do think um, it helps. Um but again, it just depends on which part of your life you're in and what situation you're in. I would say, you know, I wouldn't be giving this advice a couple of years ago. I'd probably be saying, you know, oh, you need to, you need to put <laughs> every ounce and every minute sure. of your life into this, you know? So it just depends. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely does depend. Like you say, everybody's different. Some things work for some people uh, and, and, and differently for others. So you mentioned fog in your shots. You know, when in doubt, add more fog. Do you have any top moments in cinema with the foggiest shots? I've got one here at the minute. Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner. Yeah, anything Deacons, anything Frasier. The re- most recent two examples will probably be, yeah, the Blade Runner one is pretty iconic. I would say Dune as well has has a bunch of, you know, when you're the bad gesture at scene, when you don't really see the ships at all, you just see literally like the points of light where they're emitting from the ships. I think that's super, super effective way. Arrival as well, uh, but I don't want to show my love for Danny Villeneuve too much here by naming three. I was going to say by naming three uh, of his those films, yeah, movies that you've picked are very. <laughs> yeah, I think those are the ones that come to mind immediately, which definitely says something. <laughs> no, thank you. That's great. We'd like to just wrap up on advice for filmmakers diving into Unreal Engine for for maybe the first time or mm-hmm. any advice for people looking to get into real-time filmmaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would say there's probably two things. There's um, One is like a specific advice what I touched on already is if you are coming from a different 3D software, a different package, I think like everyone I've ever talked to who switched to Unreal had a really hard time switching to it. I think it's almost in a way it's like easier if you don't have any previous 3D experience if you just dive straight in because then you're not you know biased towards what you were using before. That learning curve is pretty intense, but once you're over it, it becomes super super intuitive. The the other point, it's not really you know Unreal specific because Unreal is very like I I think there's a a, a slight misconception you know when people see irradiation and because of 
you know, how well it did online and stuff like that. They think, you know, I, I know Unreal and I know everything about it. Where, in fact, I know very little of Unreal. I know, like, so very, very basic things. Uh, I know how to import animations. I know how to, you know, move around lights and how to move around cameras. That's the three things that I know. I, I don't know anything apart from that. If you know how to animate cameras in any software, you know how to animate them in Unreal. And the same thing with lighting. You know, if you know what makes, you know, for a good composition in terms of camera framing and uh, lighting then you can replicate that pretty much in any software. So it's not really an Unreal specific question. I, I think a lot of people mistake that for being like, oh, you know, there's Unreal specific tutorials or lessons for that. It's more about, you know, the actual kind of filmmaking process. I would much rather, you know, spend the time on kind of analyzing cinema in general and learning about lighting and learning about cinematography more so than learning about the nitty gritty, you know, technical stuff in Unreal. That's the stuff that's going to make you a better filmmaker, not, you know, understanding where every button in Unreal is, basically. Does that sort of same work ethic apply for somebody that wants to start making short films in general, uh, is just jump into it when people have got ideas and yeah. thoughts and they're kind of fearful of, how do I start? I would say so, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, what I did. I mean, there's really no other way, <laughs> if you think about it, like you just kind of have to... I think what, what worked well for me is the kind of very slow evolution of that. So it started with, you know, very kind of simple motion design pieces, motion graphics, stuff like that. That was, you know, a couple of shots of something, a logo reveal or something. But it taught me, you know, how to time and edit specific things. And then, it, you know, one of the first couple of shorts that I've done because I didn't have access to animation and characters and anything like that, but I was still kind of halfway into ArcViz. Uh, they were all focused on architecture. So architecture was the subject matter, very much inspired by the third and the seventh, which has the architecture as a centerpiece. And architecture is, by the way, it's a fantastic subject matter to learn composition on, um, especially if you choose your architecture subject, you know, wisely. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of, you know, again, like working around the limitations and starting with something that's very simple. The way I started was, you know, it was all sci-fi stuff. So it was characters with masks, no face. So I don't have to worry about face animation. Absolutely, yeah. And then, you know, slowly we got into animation and facial animation, but it was a weird alien. So that's different than a human. So you can get away with a lot of things there in terms of CG. But then we got to radiation. And it was like all the people were masked. So we don't really have to worry about the bottom parts of the face. It's just, uh, just the top. So that's another kind of you know, bit by bit. And then by the time we got to beckoning, like that's where, you know, things developed fully that I was comfortable both with, you know, everything in terms of, you know, writing, writing dialogue, facial performances, uh, facial animation capture and all of that stuff. Uh, it was like a very kind of step-by-step -step process. I didn't go to beckoning first, even though I probably wanted to, you know, everybody that starts out starts with grand ideas of, yes. you know, I'm going to make a new Blade Runner and whatnot. <laughs> Out of all the rambling that I've just done, that's probably a good piece of advice to kind of get is uh, start with something that's very simple and that's very straightforward and like a very short fill. It doesn't have to be a 10-minute piece. It could literally be a minute. Just something to, you know, get an idea and emotion across. It doesn't have to be complex at all. It doesn't have to have characters. But uh, just through the exercise of doing that and through the exercise of finishing that, you'll immediately get ideas for new things and how you're going to tackle them as well. Um, I think, you know, you do something super complex as your first one, there's a good chance you're never going to finish it. And then you're going to be stuck in this perpetual hell of, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling down. I'm never going to finish this and whatnot. Sure, man. Whereas if, if you do something really simple, but you finish it, that immediately mm. gives you the boost of trying something new. Thanks, Sava. That's, that's great. Yes. I've got a question about the decision for the shape of the entity in irradiation. Uh -huh. I'm trying to link the Blender Cube inspiration there. Maybe it's a completely not, but... It's not, no. it's not, although people have made that joke, like this is, where, this is where all the Blender Cubes go when you delete them. No. Uh, okay, there, no. were, there were a few comments like that. Uh, really? <laughs> Um, it's, it's, no, it, well, it wasn't that all the cubes are basically because it was the, the, the backstory of irradiation was that it's set in this kind of alternate reality post Chernobyl setting. 
So the, the way it started, it was supposed to be in, are you familiar with the Chernobyl graveyard? It's like where they discarded all the vehicles that were irradiated. So this was like an altered version of that, but it's not in a giant field. It's like in the forest. So that's where all the radiation material was discarded. I don't think I've actually spoken about this publicly, so it might be an interesting time to do that. But uh, it's sort of, you know, Chernobyl meets Stranger Things. It's this kind of multidimensional kind of essentially like the being, the anomaly um, is, is like a link between two dimensions. And the way it manifests itself is it manifests itself through the irradiated, irradiated material back on Earth. And the, the most irradiated material out of everything that's been discarded are the RBMK graphite blocks. So those blocks are uh, the actual tops of the reactor. Like if you, I don't know if you saw Chernobyl, but uh, if you look for how the reactor looks, like those blocks are literally at the top of the control rods. And uh, when the reactor blew up, those graphite blocks were like scattered all the way around. They literally say it in the show, you know, there's graphite on the rooftops. Jack, the guy that you spoke with prior to me, he's a massive fan of the Chernobyl show. So he always recommends it. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely watch Chernobyl. It's one of the best things to come out recently, but that's literally what it is. It's the graphite blocks from the RBMK control rods from the reactor. And those are like massively, massively radioactive. They're still lying around all over the place. Uh, I think so, at least. Architecture, you mentioned interesting subjects and choosing your uh, architecture wisely for composition. I saw a challenge on the internet with the Blender Cube, so that's their kind of main focus. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to see what, what would Sava do with telling a short story about a simple cube <laughs> he kind of already included it in a, in a project. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say it. it's probably it's probably irradiation. <laughs> yeah, well, imagine the cube can't even move. It's just it's probably yeah, it's probably something like that. Or it will probably be it might be something like you know uh, everything everywhere all at once, where it's just like the two cubes talking and uh, the like the two <laughs> pieces of stone talking to each other. A funny story with that was when I first saw the the film in theaters. That scene when it came up with the two rocks talking, we didn't have any subtitles because, like, that's how it was actually like done. Like, you had that, you know, they were having a conversation, but we didn't have any subtitles. It was just like shot, reverse shot of two two rocks, and then a wide shot, and it was that for like five minutes, and nobody nobody like knew what the hell was going on. It was just like <laughs> the scene that was going on for so long with no subtitles, but it was clearly shot as like, all right, you know these two rocks are talking. So we definitely got that, but we didn't get, you know, what they were talking about. So that was funny. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you this afternoon and we really appreciate your time. It's <laughs> been amazing. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invite. I, I enjoyed it. Hopefully your audience um, finds the conversation useful. They will. Absolutely, man. So thank you. I just want to say all the best and we'll catch up soon, man. All right. Cheers. Thanks so much. If you're looking for more conversations like this and can't wait for the next episode, head over to our YouTube channel or follow the link in the episode description.